I like prophets because they live a hard life. Hey friends, I'm Jackie Newsom, And I'm Isaiah Lewis. And you're listening to Under God, a podcast where two outsiders come together to question the text and build community. Thanks for listening. So we are going to use the Lectio Divina method, if you will, or prayer practice to meditate on, think about, question, explore Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. Lectio Divina is a prayer practice. It's a way to engage the text so that you think about it deeply and that you're able to question it. What we're going to do is we're going to read the scripture once and think about what stands out to you, what words, what phrases, what ideas stand out. And we're going to tell you all what stands out to us. Then we're going to give a little bit of context for this section of Isaiah. And then we're going to read the scripture again. And after that, we're going to really talk about what we're reading, what's going on here, why does it matter? And of course, we can't help but give application to our lives or talk about what our biases are, what's at stake for us. And we encourage you to do the same thing. Absolutely. And if you decide that you want to read a version that sounds like what Jackie and I are going to be talking about, we're reading from the Common English Bible because we think that it's just pretty clear and easy to read. And that can be really helpful, especially if you're starting out reading the Bible. Chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Shout loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their crime, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day, desiring knowledge of my ways like a nation that acted righteously, that didn't abandon their God. They ask me for righteous judgments, wanting to be close to God. Why do we fast and you don't see? Why afflict ourselves and you don't notice? Yet, on your fast day, you do whatever you want and oppress all your workers. You quarrel and brawl, and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists. You shouldn't fast as you are doing today if you want to make your voice heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I choose? A day of self-affliction, of bending one's head like a reed, and of lying down in mourning, clothing, and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke? Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointed, the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you, even in parched places. The Lord will rescue your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restore a livable streets. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would like to note 
both for myself and for our listeners. In verse 11, the text word for word reads, the Lord will guide you continually and provide for you even in parched places. He will rescue your bones. I replaced he with the Lord. And that is because I don't believe that it is accurate to gender God. And so anytime that comes up in my reading, I will substitute for a different word, either God or the Lord or something like that. I think that's a really helpful point. And it's something that sometimes we don't even notice how word like he could shape who we think God is or who God could be. We're going to take a pause here and we encourage you to do the same. He will rescue your bones. Mm. Announce to my people their crime. Yeah, same. Not hiding from your own family. Releasing wicked restraints. Bending one's head like a reed. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. Yes. Rebuild ancient ruins on your account. Listen, in your name. That stuck <laughs> out to me. I was like, what? Yeah. Open your heart to the hungry. You quarrel and brawl and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists. Mm. The Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Your light will shine in the darkness. Don't hold back. The use of the word yoke several times. Mm. You will be healed quickly. I just feel like the scripture is like, for me, like a mango, like a juicy. It's just like, oh, hey, wait, and here's another pea. Oh, and here's another. Mm, yes, delicious. Like, <laughs> there's so many things in here. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I'm at the same spot. <laughs> so one of the interesting things about Isaiah is that it is a book that is actually sort of a compilation. So scholars think that there are actually three different books. Sometimes people will say that there are even four in here written over the span of a couple hundred years, actually. So while first Isaiah might have been written by a prophet named Isaiah, the second and third were probably written by people who were followers of that Isaiah, folks who really liked the way that he was talking about the problems that they were seeing for the Israelites and decided to kind of imitate his style as a way of continuing on his legacy. This chapter, 58, is in what we call Third Isaiah. So it was written to people who were living in Jerusalem after they came back to that city. So they were the elites of that city had been captured by the Babylonian Empire for more than 50 years. And now they're back and trying to make sense of like, who are they now that this has happened? Not everybody has come back and not, it, not everybody left. There are class differences that are going on here. There's a sense of grief and trauma. And there's a real question of like, okay, so like, who are we now that this huge 
thing has happened in our community. So how do we make sense of who we are and how, how we relate to each other, how we relate to God? Some people wanted to try to just go back to the old ways and other people were like, yeah, that's, that's not going to work. This is written in about 539 BC and a lot of really, really good writing is coming out of this really traumatic experience for the people of Israel. Um, we alternate in selecting which of the four lectionary texts we're going to pick. And I got to pick this week. And I chose Isaiah because of its background, because of the idea that we understand across the three or four potentially different books, their prophetic statements being made throughout the, the entire book, if you will, of Isaiah. And I think it's important for us to explore the Old Testament in the context of people who were ostracized because they spoke truth to power. That's my two cents. I kind of want to just leave it at that. Word. Should I read it a second time so we can talk about it? Yes, please. I'm going to close my eyes. Listeners, this is something that I find to be really helpful in an effort to Uh, try to listen deeply and fully to the text. So again, we're listening to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Shout loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their crime, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day, desiring knowledge of my ways, like a nation that acted righteously, that didn't abandon their God. They ask me for righteous judgments, wanting to be close to God. Why do we fast and you don't see? Why afflict ourselves and you don't notice? Yet on your fast day, you do whatever you want and oppress all your workers. You quarrel and brawl, and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists. You shouldn't fast as you're doing today if you want to make your voice heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I choose? A day of self-affliction and bending one's head like a reed and lying down in mourning cloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke? Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house? covering the naked when you see them and not hiding for your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn. You will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointing, the wicked speech, If you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you, even in parched places. He will rescue your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
you were saying that this really evokes chattel slavery for you. And you also, you had this phrase about the, the ancestors putting it in your path, I think. Yeah. So like, do you want to talk more about that or yeah, do you want to sure. start somewhere else? No, I'll, I'll start there. When I read and then listened to this text, I think I do the dangerous thing, which is using as a proof text. And the proof is that like, you can't be an oppressor and think God wants to be bothered with you. And that is like an oversimplification because fundamentally I, I'm a universalist. And so I believe like if there's a heaven, everyone's getting in and like nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. And so there's nothing you can really do. And God ultimately, even when you're not acting right, will be there with you. Like God is just bluffing. God is just talking smack here. Um, <laughs> right. Like that's what I really, really believe. But on days when I need something and I, and I just can imagine folks, my people, right, like in the throes of chattel slavery, needing something that promises them that the master is going to be dealt with, like this is the scripture. Because it's like when we think about and when we read about and even when we see in movies, this notion of slave owners feeling like they are truly Christian, right, and truly followers of God and of Jesus Christ, then owning other people beating them, abusing them, starving them, right? Leaving them half naked, raping them, and then fasting. This text is like, uh, no, that's not how this works. And it's almost like, can you take a break from that in order to like really fast? How about you don't? And how about you treat human beings like human beings? And it's just hard for me to not see that in this text. And so when I see, and I brought this up, when I see the word yoke, I am thinking about a literal yoke around a person's neck. Like that is what I'm thinking of. And untying that yoke and like Mm -hmm. setting human beings free Mm -hmm. because that is what God calls for. And of course, as my role as a public defender, like I pointed out the word crime, right? Mm -hmm. And I read this not as the crime of oh, having or selling crack is a crime, or oh, right, robbing the store is a crime. Like, I don't see it like that. I'm seeing like the crime is creating an environment and an economy, a world where it is necessary to do those things for survival or where you have oppressed people so far, right, that, that the options that they have are limited or where you've, you've created this in-group and this out-group, that is the crime as I read it here. You yeah. know, you're having, not having a heart for the hungry, that's the crime. Not being hungry and doing something about it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this text is one that supports literally a jailbreak and removing people. Now, I think for me, right, I, I take it to the next step and I include the difficult folks, air quotes. I include rapists and murderers. I include people who do gunpoint robberies. I include all of that because I have yet to meet a human being in a cage who doesn't have a story, who doesn't have a reason for that conduct and who isn't truly, truly wanting to be able to live a different way, but feels like they can't. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I feel like those people are included in the text. The finger, if you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointing, the wicked speech, like if you if we stop saying these people are bad, these people are criminals, like if we stop behaving that way, then then God can fully show up 
then, then we see the goodness, then we see the change, then we see the manifestations of our fast. And how I read this is like, don't fast if you're not going to act right. (laughs) I think, especially in January, I feel like January is a big fasting season, potentially for folks. And people in my tradition like love a fast because if you fast and you give up food or you give up something for God, and especially when we talk about, you know, the resurrection season and like Easter, and it's like, if you do this, then it's this quid pro quo, right? Then you get this thing from God. Here, it's like, God is like, no, I actually just need a behavioral fast. I just, I just need y'all to act right. Like, go, if you want to, if you want to eat the chips, eat the chips. (laughs) If you're going to be ugly acting with or without chips you can keep it like you might as well eat them like it's not you know like Mm -hmm. that's what I see here and I just feel like that is so helpful because it's a lot easier for us to run and feel like okay I'm doing this thing for God so like let me get this quid pro quo let me get what I want like I remember I I fasted for the ACT I fasted for either the LSAT or the or the bar or both I can't remember and it's, it's, yeah, it's solely like this quid pro quo. Like, God, I am, I am sacrificing this thing. Let me pass. Give me a good grade. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this text is like, mm, it's far bigger than that. And what I need is for those in power and for those who have the control and the ability to oppress, to act right. That's what I got. I'm looking for. So keep your chips. You know what I mean? Keep keep your Lamborghini. Like, just act right. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Word of God for the people of God. <laughs> that was real good. I'm trying not to curse in appreciation because I feel like maybe that's not, maybe that's not the move at this point. Be free. Be free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There was so much that you said in there. And one of the things that was just kind of standing out to me while you were talking about the folks that you you work with who are locked up and the injustice of that right like look nobody wants to rob a liquor store right like or whatever like nobody's like that's the career move that's the person I want to be right like that's not a thing <laughs> when you're talking about like setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke like then a couple verses down not hiding from your own family like one of the things that ends up happening through these systems of violence against human beings is like destroying the sense that like we are family that we're talking about human beings who number one have families and number two like you are part of that family this is a whole ass human being with complexity and a sense of humor and musical tastes and like weird things that they can do with their knuckle joints and whatever right you know like all these things we're related to each other (laughs) and all you gotta do is like meet somebody and have a conversation to know that but part of the system part of the thing that makes it possible to throw away human beings at the levels that we do is making it possible for particularly the people in power to never have to get to know another human being who's in a cage, to making it sound very scary, to making other human beings in many ways inaccessible, and then saying, oh, those people over there, right? None of that is an accident. That's running away from your own family. And so that's part of what I got in this text. The other thing that really stood out to me, and I admit, like, I needed this text 
too. So I, when Jackie told me the passage and I read it, and I was like, ooh, okay, all right. But one of the things that I read in preparing for this conversation was that what's interesting about Isaiah is that there's this sort of like hybrid genre that you don't see very much. So like a style that is uniquely and sort of oddly Isaiah, that is like half a celebration and half a judgment. It's like both and at the same time, right? And I'm really hearing that in this passage because like, it starts out like a celebration, the way that you would like sort of enter like a worship service in a happy mood. But it's also being like, y'all aren't acting right. There feels like to me a celebration in that too, because God is clear. God is not hiding what God's agenda is for human beings. It's not like, okay, you need to guess what it means to love me. God isn't fickle. This has been the plan. Y'all just didn't didn't follow it. And so that feels like part of God's faithfulness is reminding people like, you say you want to love me. I've been telling you how you love me. You love other human beings. You don't commit violence against other human beings. Like, I love those human beings. So what do you think you're doing? You think these aren't related somehow? They're deeply related. And that feels like good news to me. I had a moment where, I mean, to be honest, like, I wasn't acting right the other day. And I talked to my pastor about it. And, you know, it's a moment where I'm, I'm really grateful to have a pastor who I can trust to tell me things, right? And like, we, you know, we talked through the situation, he kind of leaned in close to me and was like, so here's what's really exciting about this. We get to do things differently. This is going to come up for you again. And we get to try a new way of relating to each other. And God wants wholeness for you and for us. And like, that's exciting. There's something so compassionate to being able to look somebody in the eye and say like, yeah, you were not acting right. And like, and I love you. And we can try again. And I will be with you as you try again, right? Like, as we try again together. And so this idea that you will cry for help and God will say, I'm here, right? As you are trying again, as you are trying to like become this, you know, this person who's turning away from violence. That's part of the good news for me. Like there are these very concrete ways of what a healthy relationship with other human beings looks like. And it has a lot to do with making sure that everyone has their needs met, has their human dignity respected has enough to eat, has enough clothing, is not in a cage, and you're not harming yourself, you're not har- harming other people. God doesn't want self-affliction either, right? That's something that I'm reading in here too. Like, that's not the fast God chooses. Um, God doesn't want you to just be so filled with shame that you can't change your relationships. What God wants is for you to change your relationships, and God's like willing to be there with you so you do not remain in violence against other people or, or yourself. God does not will oppression for the oppressor in addition to not willing oppression for the oppressed. And that is such good news. And that brings healing quickly. That rescues your bones. <laughs> like, that, you know, that judgment feels like grace to me. And I think particularly because of the way I experienced it from my pastor who who presented it as good news of like, 
here, here is your chance to grow. And that framing makes all the difference because there was absolutely the opportunity for me to just feel horrible. And that's not, that's not the fast God chooses either. As you're talking to, to, to throw in, I mean, real true complexity. I want to talk about what, what we do with ourselves and others who are like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm human, so I get it wrong. It's like, oh, well, sort of thing. Like, I am thinking about two examples. I'm going to give the one that is not about me first so that I can spend a lot of time revealing my own issues. So I'm going to just quickly jump into the one that's not about me. So shout out to my trainer. I won't say his name, but he's dope. And we often talk about faith in God. And he told me that his dad was a Methodist pastor. And so whenever we talk about, and specifically whenever we talk about prisons and jails and incarcerated folk and my clients, he's, he's sort of like God requires that penalty and punishment. And I'm like, but it, like, is that completely and wholly true? And he's like, well, I'm human. And this is, this is what it is. And like, if someone did X, Y, and Z to me, this is the outcome that I want, or, you know, this is how I would engage in sort of a reciprocal harm. Mm. What do we do with this notion of like, I am human, I am tired, I have a, a finite amount of, of empathy or energy or emotional capacity for folks. And so that may alter what my fast, air quotes, looks like. Yeah, my fast may only be able to look like this not ideal thing that Isaiah chapter 58 is talking about because that's all I have the capacity to do. So now my, the story about me. So yesterday I went to the jails to do my interviews for work. I did them on a Saturday because I feel like if I can do them on the weekend, I have a little bit more time. I'm less rushed. I'm a bit calmer, right? I'm not freaking out about the other work I need to do when I get back to the office. You know, I, I'm able to be present in a better way. I, I did four full interviews and then a, sh a fifth short conversation. And I was, I felt good about myself, right? Those four interviews, I'm like, bing, bang, boom. I'm talking, I'm present. I'm engaging. I'm listening. I'm giving good pastoral care. I'm being a good Christian. I'm right. I care about these folks. I'm working real hard. I'm looking for ways in which I can get my folks out of custody, right? I'm just, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, yeah, doing a good job. Fifth guy comes up. I leave the facility that I'm at because I think he's at a different facility. Drive to the other facility. It's like down the street. It's not that big of a deal. He's not there. I have to go back to the other facility. It's like, oh, all right. Now I'm tired. Now I'm annoyed. I'm driving back and forth. I got to wait for count to clear. Isaiah knows this story and perhaps some of our listeners know too, right? This Just the whole song and dance of like, can I get back in? How long is it going to take? So then I get in and this is a person, this is a client who has been calling me and I have his, I have his case coming up, but like in my office, the way it's structured, it's like, I actually only have to visit the people I'm supposed to interview. Someone else has already interviewed this client. So I actually didn't have to interview him. Didn't have to, meaning like per policy, I didn't have to see him before court. And so he comes in and like, it feels like he not even grateful that I'm there. And I'm like, if you, what? And then we're sitting talking. He's like talking cash shit to me and like 
I just feel like I'm like, boo, I don't have it. I don't have no more capacity for you. I don't have it for you. You should be happy I'm here. Like, I'm tired. I'm hungry. You ain't talking about nothing. You gave this information to somebody else. And, you know, like, yep, you, you, you absolutely should not be here. But you know what? Ain't nothing I can do about that today at 6.45 p.m. on a Saturday. I can't do anything about that until we get to court. I can't, like, okay, yep, sorry, sucks for you. Yeah, bye. Is, it, is, it, is that all? Do you have anything else? And so I went to the car, and I'm, like, reflecting on my behavior. And my excuse is, like, well, I'm human. Like, I'm tired. That's all I had. Like, I tried to be nice. I wasn't rude to him. I sat there and let him talk. But like this, that feels like a waste of my time. And now that I'm like looking at this scripture, I'm just wondering about that response and about my behavior and about if, the, if that is a reflection of hiding from my own family and about the ways in which that is me using the power that I have in a way that isn't wholly liberative. As I was listening to you talk and then also trying to reflect on the scripture, that's what came up for me. But honestly, I think there's a difference between your trainers, I'm only human, and your I'm only human. We mess up. Like, that's part of what it means to be human. So, like, there is a certain grace in, in knowing that. I don't think what this passage is saying is, like, it's only when you get all of this right that God's going to start listening to you. And otherwise you're like screwed. I don't think God plays like that. I, I just don't. Because if that were the case, the Bible would be very short. Because like basically the first thing that happens once you get two humans together is they like screw things up, right? If God was really like, y'all, like I told you once that this was a deal and you broke it. So like figure it out on your own if that were the case then like we would not have scripture at all and we would not have like we would just be well and truly screwed I think and a big part of my faith is you know trying to believe that we're not well and truly screwed but in order for that to be true right it's a process and that moment of yeah you were trying to do the best you could by that guy and you gave him what you had and like maybe it wasn't ideal but it was what you had that's what you gave him and I think that that is different from uh your your trainer's comment in the moment of like well if somebody did this violence to me I would want reciprocal violence right I think that there are huge differences between I gave what I had and maybe it wasn't enough and I'm not willing to give it all And that's assuming that what you had to give was not enough, right? Like so much of what we learn in seminary about pastoral care is like, you just got to like shut up and listen to folks sometimes, right? And so like, I'm not convinced that you didn't give him what he needed at the moment. Yeah, you couldn't, you know, get him out of jail at 645 on a Saturday, right? Which is what he wanted. But like, I don't think he really believed that you could do that. I think he needed somebody to listen and know, yeah, it sucks in here. I don't want to be here. I don't think this is right. This isn't fair. I'm upset. I'm worried. I'm scared, probably. And I'm mad about it because I feel like I can't control the things that I 
need to be able to control in order to maintain my dignity as a human. And I'm trying to process that. And so like you listening to him, even if you were not happy about it, that was a gift to him, right? That was a ministry of like, there's another human who can look me in the eye and acknowledge that I am a human and that this is not right. Maybe you weren't feeling in the mood to do that, but you did it. And that matters because the vast majority of the other folk who are around him are going to be like, not worried about his life, his, his dignity, his worth, um, his bad mood, his anything, you know, that matters. That was helpful. And, and thank you for reminding me. Someone told me a long time ago, you're a servant, not the savior. Mm. And so if there's no God part at all, like, yep, you can't do it. You cannot do it by yourself. And so leaving room for God to be active, you know, is, that's really helpful. Like, I can't, you're right. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't hold it all. That's a good reminder. And this scripture is not asking us to do that. One of the things that I really like about this passage of Reverend Dr. William Barber's organization that he kind of founded in order to help people learn how to um, speak up about uh, the policies that are going on in their states and, and particularly in North Carolina, like he calls that repairs of the breach. And I think that's why is because like if you build a society in which everybody has their needs taken care of, like the beloved children of God that they are, you have a world worth living in. And like, the violence that you were enacting systemically is not going to harm people such that they want to harm each other, you know, on a, on an individual level either. And so I was just kind of reminded in like the work that you do and the connection between individuals and these broader, more complex systems. Um, and, and the good news that this passage can kind of speak to that as well. It is good news because anytime God is still in conversation that's good news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anytime God is not like, yep, y'all got it. I'm I'm done. I'm throwing it in the towel. Like, that's good news. And so even the presence, like you said, of the correction and the opportunity to move forward is a gift because it's like, all right, God is here. That means divine works happen, right? Like God is present. That means things can shift. And that is always good news. Absolutely. Amen. Uh, okay, quickly, something else I want to say is what I despise, um, it's a personal thing, is light shining in the darkness. Anytime this is referenced colloquially or in the text, I get frustrated because as a Black person, the idea that darkness is bad is something that frustrates me. And so the thing that I always say is when we go back to Genesis and when, we, when we're looking at one of the creation stories, what existed before anything else was God and darkness. Yes. So if you don't think darkness is divine, you are confused. Because when there was nothing else, when there was not light, there was darkness and there was God. Oh, that's beautiful. So I just want to be clear that you can read that portion of bringing light to darkness without shaming darkness itself. Um, I don't believe in that. And I just want to place that nugget out there for folks 
we are going to end with our typical and consistent benediction that comes from both of our church traditions. It's a mashup. It's a combination. Absolutely. So go live as free people. And keep the faith, baby. Amen. Amen. Bye, y'all. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. It's just like, oh, hey, wait, and here's another P. Oh, and here's another. Mm. Yes, delicious.